Phoenix Rising Football Club. I'm Kellen Olson. I was just joking with Jake Anderson before we officially were recording that maybe we just spend 15 minutes here talking about Phoenix Rising being number one in this and number one in that and having the most goals since then and having the most clean sheets since they are a force of, I don't want to say evil, but it just feels (laughs) like the way they are beating up these teams and the way they are doing it compared to the opposition we've seen. They are a unrelenting force right now, Jay, coming off a 6-0 win at home. Dollar Beer Night, the energy. Something about it. We were texting during the match, and I thought you were audacious in predicting a 4-0 victory and ended up being 6. I don't think anyone saw that coming, but then again, you really can't put it past them their scoring prowess the fact that they have another clean sheet just to say what you said that puts them at 10 which is the best in the league they have the most goals the best goal scorer I can just go on and on not a match we're going to break down for 10 to 15 minutes for the majority of the podcast Uh, a 6-0 win I texted you after the third or fourth goal and was like did Austin's back line (laughs) just meet yesterday because what is going on back there and I think during I, that, they scored another one. Yes, that was the, the third and fourth goal, in between the third and fourth goal. Specifically on the third goal, if you go watch a replay of it, you'll see that somehow, in not a counterattacking situation really, in a situation where Phoenix just quickly played it from the back, it was one pass to a midfielder where this defender came out of nowhere and went for an interception. It's like, where's that dude coming from? And then his pass forward went to, I believe, Adam John, who was just doing hold-up play. Two defenders collapsed on him, which is like, what's going on? And then he passes out to either Asante or Flemings, and I believe they do a two-on-one and pass to the other for a goal. I believe it was Flemings to Asante, yeah, if he, I remember cor- correctly. Yeah, Musa was the one. He had a little flick. John chips it to Flemings, and then Flemings gives it to Solo, cuts it back on his left, and puts it in the corner. How how does that result in a two-on-one, though? Like It was, it was two passes, and then all of a sudden their defense is gone. I, I tweeted... I tweeted during the match, I was watching it live here from the office, and I was just like, where is their back line? I have yet to see it in a full, like on the screen, I cannot see all four defenders when Rising are pushing up the field. What did you see in person that they were doing defensively? Because I believe I saw another Rising account, I can't remember who it was, but someone tweeted, they've like never seen this type of formation before. I (laughs) I I was literally about to bring it up, so... uh Rising Tactics, which is run right. by Joseph Lowry, I sit next to him almost every match. We were looking at on the website to where the main positioning was of each player, and he literally said exactly that. What is this? Because if you were to see Rising's formation, you can clearly see four defenders align in each part of the game, midfield forward. And if you were to look at Austin Bolds, it looks like... It, like it was, it was slanted. You had multiple guys in the same part of the pitch, and we were thinking at first maybe it's man marking um, because you had solo side was so clogged. Everything oh, was really maybe, coming yeah. from yeah. from Junior Flemings, but I mean they were clearly playing for the draw. And as soon as that first goal went in, it was just they were discombobulated and. They were unorganized. I mean, that can really be the only way to describe what we were seeing because 
if you look at the heat map of everything, it was all over the place. Uh, you really no way to describe it other than disorganized. They clearly were just trying a specific strategy for this matchup against Phoenix Rising and went in and said, this is going to be our best chance to stop them. But it's weird because a, a, a team lower in the standings is more prone to doing that, doing something audacious with their strategy, like when... Um, Aston Villa is at Liverpool or whatever. They'll try something weird because they know they're probably going to get smoked anyway. But Austin Bold is in the top half of the West right now. Mm-hmm. They're, they've had a solid year, so I was just confused to see it out of them of all teams. Now, we're going to talk about Tulsa in a second. If, yeah. if, that, if, that's, if Austin's doing that, I can't imagine what Tulsa's going to do because they're having a rough go of it as of late. We'll talk about that a bit later. But, yeah, just spending more time with them having a couple of days. I just my thought on it was that they just were trying to experiment, and their backline midfield chemistry was not even close to what it needed to be to execute whatever they were trying to do because it wasn't even clear what they were trying to do. You mentioned man marking, and I was yeah, yeah, I could see that, but it's also there were too many times where they were just so disorganized and basically what it kept leading to leading to they basically basically their plan was to just really press the midfield once they got the ball and then just hope that the ball didn't get to the front three because there was no one ever back to guard the front three there were so many open chances for passes that just normally aren't there because a defensive structure is present. There was no defensive structure for them. It was baffling. Yeah, what we noticed right away was that Bold was giving rising the ball in the back half of their half if that makes any sense basically the center of the park they did not press until rising had the ball at about the halfway point of austin's half if that makes any sense basically the beginning of that final third is when they began to put pressure on rising and it seemed at first to be one of those games to where it's going to be okay spaghetti at the wall they're going to just try to defend every cross, defend every pass. Something's going to have to be perfect. But they didn't mark Solo on the first goal. He literally had acres of space. He took a touch, turned, didn't really even put that much pace on the shot. It was just perfectly placed. And in those type of matches when a team is kind of holding on for dear life from the beginning, as soon as that first goal goes in and they're down, it's kind of game over at that point. And then... Five goals later, it's. I mean, they gave up. You could tell they gave up in the second half because it was only one nil in the in the first half at halftime. But something happened at halftime where, um, like a couple minutes into halftime, whatever they were committed to doing defensively, either one guy gave up and the rest folded with them, or all of them sort of just went away from what they were doing because it was clearly unorganized. Um, they actually had a couple chances in the first half yeah, they that did. could have changed the match. Zach Lubin spoke to that after the game, that you know he and the defense played a big part in being able to keep that clean sheet, and once a couple of other goals go in, Austin Bulls deflated, and that's that. And then the offense just gets to have some fun. To kind of wrap up uh, the show before we talk about... Uh, let's talk about Tulsa a bit, and we'll wrap on that, actually. So the, coming up on Tulsa, is that on Friday or Saturday? Saturday. Uh, on Tulsa. So they take on Tulsa Saturday away, which, uh, given the way the road has gone, that's where um, the losses have come, the, the two of them, I believe. Or is it... I'm sorry. Is, is that wins or losses? I'm sorry. Or draws or losses? So they have not lost at home since Portland of last season. Um, so yeah, those they, are those the are only losses, the I'm only sorry. losses they have yeah. on the season, which is two, um, have come on the road. But they have won four straight, which is a club record. So they'll be going for their 
fifth straight road win and also the USL Championship consecutive match win record of 11, which, based on Tulsa's form, I think should happen easily. Tulsa has lost six of their last seven in a sport where you can tie. They have only scored four goals while allowing 21. Uh, Two of those goals that they scored came against Austin Bold in a loss at home. They've been shut out five times. Um, They have not won a game since April 24th. Um, They actually play today as well, so they're going to be on short rest. So, I mean, everything is pointing toward a rising victory. There's really no way that you can even convince anybody that Tulsa is going to have a chance in this game, honestly. No, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) There's really no way. The form they're in is, and for both sides, it just did such opposite ends. Teams in first, the teams in seventeenth place. It's it. They're just such different quality teams. They've only scored twenty six goals. Rising's goal difference is thirty five. I don't. I don't really see where. Yeah. I just. I just don't. And don't. another big reason Rising would want to win this match is as we speak, the Orange County Reno game is coming up to an end. Uh, Reno's actually going to lose this match. And they're going to have two more played than Rising. So theoretically, if Rising were to win the two matches that they have in hand on Reno, they would then have a nine-point lead over them. They're in second place. And Fresno is in third place, even on matches with Rising, with 37 points. So this is also a big opportunity for Rising to separate themselves in the Western Conference standings, which is beginning to separate themselves, as you mentioned in our last podcast, with this top three, and then you have a little bit of a gap, and then the rest of the conference. Okay. We're going to wrap up here with some awards. We're just going to impromptu off the top of our noggin, kind of come up with a bit. We could do MVP and, and all that kind of stuff, but I think they're kind of obvious. The first thing I wanted to start with is the Statistical Anomaly Award that goes to Solomon Asante, <laughs> because I saw 58 chances created for him this season. It was like, that's got to lead the league. It actually does not, but this is where it gets crazy. So Oscar Jimenez leads the chances created category uh, from Louisville. He has 67, but Oscar Jimenez has not scored a goal yet this year. Um, so so he's not really been much of a goal-scoring presence. And then it is uh, Seth Casiple, uh, I'm not sure how to say your name, sir, uh, of Reno. He's got four goals scored. So again, a little bit of the offense in there. But uh, Solomon Asante leads the league. He's got 14, <laughs> 14 goals. So on top of him being this absolute playmaking force where, yes, of course, he leads the league in assists too with 11, and the next guy has seven if you just go to chances created and you see the gap, there are clearly these midfield maestro type players who are orchestrating their offense and creating chances. Asante is doing that while being the team's best assist man and the best goal scorer. It's and somehow not didn't something, win midseason MVP. And not it's just not something you see that often for a team structurally. And I'm not saying Phoenix is run wrong in relying on him that much because you, you should let him just do everything if he's going to do it this well. But it's it's remarkable to see him impact the game that much. He's not just being the goal scorer. He's not just being the assist man. He's running, he's running their offense and setting up their chances too on a consistent, a scary consistent basis. It's... It's nuts how well he has been, uh, how well he's played. So and there's yeah, and my award to him. One of those seven assists, uh, number two on the 
campaign with seven assists as Junior Flemings after the two assists he had last match. So Rising now have the top two assist men because Junior Flemings is tied for a second. Um, I always say that the defense is getting lost in all this. Zach Lubin and the team both have 10 clean sheets on the year, which leads USL. So you have the unsung hero award you are awarding. Yeah, I'll, I'll 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 be on the defensive side for the award just because <laughs> I, I feel like you can't give them enough credit. Is it's incredible after not having a clean sheet in the first three matches to then take what is that ten of your next sixteen matches you have not allowed a goal and you have been scoring a ridiculous amount. You have Adam John now who has eleven goals on the year, which is tied for fourth in the league. Uh, Kayvon Freider is still at that 11 mark, and he's been stuck there, and he won the midseason MVP. So the the team individually, as a team, it's it's ridiculous. It's honestly getting ridiculous. Uh, Junior Flemings is at 8, and remember, he's missed four matches when he was away for the Gold Cup. And that attacking trio, AJF, it's, it's ridiculous. It's the best in the league, bar none. So I'm going to tell you my award, but I want to hear actually your award winner for this too. So the most impressed I have been uh, by someone, and I can say it's Solomon Asante, but I had expectations for him. Mm -hmm. I had expectations even for someone like Adam John, who hadn't played in the league before, but we knew he had the MLS experience. I think James Musa has arguably been the best midfielder on this team. And for him to come out of quote-unquote nowhere, where he wasn't in the regular rotation to start the year, and then an injury happens here, Baccaro's taking time to get back, Kevin Lambert goes to his international duties, and he comes in. And the goal that he scored, I had to double-check. I was like, is that... Is that Moose's number? Was that him? Yeah. And just the grace he showed on that. And uh, I believe it was, I can't remember, it might have been the game against New Mexico. I'm not exactly sure, but there was a game about five or six weeks ago where the game plan was for him to ping it like 60 yards this direction, that direction. He was doing it. And and, he, and for him, the thing that stood out to me about him the most watching him in the beginning of the season when he was getting in was his physicality, was his sort of defensive prowess and just his ability to mix it up in there. But on the ball, too, he is no slouch. And I think that he has arguably been their best midfielder. And that is a that is not speaking ill of Vaquero. Aguinaga is someone that me and you both in the first couple of weeks of the season were kind of like, you got to get it going. He did. He was mm-hmm, great. He's absolutely. been great this year. Come on, Lambert's been good. Um, Fernandez, who is gone now, he he was good in his limited stints too. Uh, Wheeler Aminu has been good off the bench too. Man, they've just they got a lot of guys there, but I think Musa has been the guy that I've been the most impressed by, not knowing much about him at all coming into the season and not having any expectations. So he was actually a. A pivotal player, I would say, in last year's lineup. He unfortunately got hurt right before the playoffs, um, and I was—I remember I was walking right behind him as he got taken off the pitch, and he was one of those where when a guy knows he's hurt and he's hurt bad, he shows it by kicking something or throwing something kind of thing, and, mm-hmm. and so he was out for the playoff run, and, and the one thing that always sticks in my mind uh, with him is... After the final, the team went to the crowd and thanked them and and sang with them. And after everything was done and basically they sang goodbye to Didier Drogba, uh, James Musa yelled, like, we'll be back next year, we'll be back. And it looks like if they continue to play this way, they will be. But he's going to prove to continue to be a pivotal part of this team. He's been that pivot, that holding midfielder for a long time now, especially with the 
absence of Lambert with so much international duty that he's had. He was just away with the Olympic uh, qualifiers, um, which unfortunately didn't go their way. But yeah, so, I've, so I've heard, you're the guy. So you're the guy who I would want to hear more from, not from me, but from you about who you've been the most impressed by because you're more familiar with the squad coming in than I was. So who, given all of your expectations for all of these guys, who would you say you are? Not the best player for this team, but the guy you has exceeded expectations for you. I would say the most because pretty much all of them have. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess with the new guys that came in, you you did slash didn't have expectations because you haven't really seen them play as much as we have now. Um, I to go back to what you said about Aguinaga, I think. He honestly has surprised me the most based on how he started this season, yeah. to how well he is playing now, um, especially from a defensive standpoint. Um, Moose is obviously that main holding defensive midfielder, but Aguinaga does allow uh, Becaro to move up the pitch just a tad bit. And for a guy that's not necessarily the biggest or the thickest on the pitch, he does hold his his weight well. He has the ability to pass and and make defensive plays. He actually is the reason why they scored one of those goals because he dispossessed the a Austin Bold uh, midfielder and set up another goal. So I would say that award would be for me personally. That would be Aguinaga. My last award is the glued to the screen award, and whenever Junior Flemings has a ball on the left wing, I am glued to the screen. Uh, sometimes when you are watching soccer, you inevitably, especially with the phone, if you don't have the phone uh, occupied with the screen, you might be pulling up Twitter, checking on the text, you know, while possession's going through. If Junior Flemings got the ball on the left wing or I see it, it could come to him, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, <laughs> my eyes are there because he's, he's electric over there and just the amount of... My favorite thing about him is probably his work rate because not only defensively he has helped uh, like everyone else has, but he will get the ball where someone like Dia usually is as mm-hmm. the left back. He'll start the build-up play, and then you'll see him 60 yards later. He's been sprinting the entire time. Now he's through on goal for a pass from John or Asante or whatever. He he starts play, too, in the back, and I think he's been he's been my favorite player to watch this season just in terms of that aspect where... When when he is in and when he is locked in and they give him the ball over there, he can make things. He can get past guys better than anyone on this team. I think Asante has been their best player, but he he's right there. And I've I've spoken his praises a lot on this podcast. I'm going to continue to do so. Yeah, I would say he's your favorite player from yeah. from how much you've yeah you've talked about him. He definitely is one of the best players. I think something that you saw last match is he may not pass as much as someone like Asante does um, but when you have the skill that he has you can't knock him for taking guys on and and wanting to score himself I mean goal scorers always want to score uh, there were a couple opportunities where he could have passed it there was one specifically I can think of to where he could have given it to Adam John for an easy tap in um, but maybe not to just say what you said uh, Solomon Asante would have to be the guy for me um just because you'll see it time and time again. He'll tuck in just to get the ball deeper and be able to play make. And he's so small and his center of gravity is so low that he has the ability to take the ball, turn, and, and, and pivot with it, and then just sublime passing. And it, it's funny that sometimes his shots, when if, if he does miss, it's always a blast over the bar. If <laughs> yeah. you've noticed that, it, he doesn't really shoot it wide. He always shoots it up. and Doesn't really whiff that much. Oh, Even no. the best of guys whiff, and he doesn't really whiff that much. He's 
Fleming's is thrilling. Asante just makes me feel at peace with the world when I'm watching <laughs> him. Just the, the precision and just smarts and just flat out being better. It's something. Do you? You're more familiar with the USL in the past couple of years. Do you think all three of these guys are going to be able to stay in the league, the front three, going into next year with the way that they're playing? I would expect Junior Flemings to eventually move up if he continues to play this way, especially if you continue to get national team recognition and getting called up. Is that the big is that the big one at this level? I mean you I mean you look at Kayvon Freighter who at the time when the Gold Cup started, you would say, Oh, he's absolutely gotta be on Jamaica's team. But he wasn't. Now that has to do with Jamaica's team being so good at the number nine position, and he leads the league in yellow cards because he's a little bit of a hothead. <laughs> um, but again, the more you play, the more you're seen, the more you're selected. It, it obviously works better out in your favor. Um, Adam John having that MLS experience, um, but with his age, you know, it, it doesn't really. How old is he? He is in his either late twenties or early. 30s. Okay. Um, and Solomon Asante, um, he's 28, Adam John. And then Solomon Asante uh, is in a, a similar age. So I don't see him. He's 28 as well. He's going to be 29 in September. So because of their age, I don't see an MLS team necessarily investing or another league investing in him, in those two again. But um, the fact that a guy like, uh, like Kevin Lambert is 21 and he's a monster. Of a 21-year-old. Um, so you can see those guys with their size. Uh, Junior Flemings is 23 years old, um, especially with his skill, as we've seen. So I would say those two. Um, you already have John Baccaro, who is belonging to an MLS team. And remember, he's on loan from Toronto FC. Uh, so is Ben Spencer. So you already have guys who are within an MLS club. So that is... The only concern going forward with a team that has this much success is how are you going to be able to replace them should those guys leave? But that's a problem, quote-unquote, that every team has that has success. We see that at the highest level in in the Premier League and in Serie A and things like that. So while you want to enjoy their time in the rest of this season and and what they can bring rising, you're going to be saddened that they may leave, but at the same time, you're not ever going to be. You're going to be happy for them. You're going to go, okay. Your career is is taking off, and if Rising was a big part of that, then you're proud to have had him on your club. But long answer short, I would say Junior Flemings. If there was one guy, or maybe two guys, Kayvon Lambert, the two Jamaicans, um, if they were to leave and move and progress in their career, those would be the two I would pick. Yeah, it's always in the back of your mind uh, when you're watching clubs at this level or really any other level that isn't the tip, tip, top because watching Newcastle the year that they got to fifth in the table, watching Johan Kabai and Re- and uh, Loic Remy, I was like, oh, we're not going to be able to keep these guys there. Yeah. We're going to have them for this season, maybe next season if they really buy in, but I mean, those guys are as good as gone. They're just too good. Kabai goes to PSG. Loic Remy, I believe, went to Chelsea, I want to say. So yeah, that's clearly a couple tiers ahead and that's the type of thing I look at in this situation always so the watch for uh, home field kind of begins here Tampa Bay currently at 43 points in 20 matches Uh, Phoenix at 19 matches 41 points so if they win they'll be one point up that's kind of what we're going to be looking at going forward and we'll talk about that more next week in terms of how much that can uh, dictate things going forward because you covered their playoff chase 
uh, last year, and that's what you kind of wrapped up with in your recap of uh, last week's win was now this starts to kind of become the focus uh, a bit. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about probably a win against Tulsa. I don't even feel like you feel like you're going to jinx it if you say stuff like that, but I think... I, I just don't see how <laughs> I just don't see how this team is not playing well at all. They're going to be on short rest. Uh, again, I would say you don't want to take any team lightly, but knowing Sean's and knowing how the team is, they are pushing themselves each and every day. I would assume that expect that they are going to be ready to want to put another thrashing on this team. Probably lots of goals to talk about. We'll be back to talk about them next week. See you. Peace.